0: All right, so we are in the season on the historical, traditional uh, Christian calendar called Advent, and the ancient Jesus followers used this time of year as a time to uh, anticipate the coming of Jesus, uh, which... The word advent means coming, and so it was a time to remember the birth of Christ, but they also used it as a time to look forward to the return of Christ, when, when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, will return to this earth, making all things right. Uh, our living God who sees what is wrong and wants to come to make all things right, because the, the ancient Christians believed that Jesus is victorious, not oblivious. And um, we have been looking in this Advent season at a really simple question, what are you expecting? And we have gone uh, to the scripture to look at how the people in scripture interacted with Jesus and how it, how they found Jesus to be and in what way was he similar to or different than their expectations. And we've talked a little bit about our expectations, our ability to hope, our ability to dream, our ability to have faith, and what that looks like and how it's connected. And we looked at uh, three questions that I think are helpful for us to consider. Is We don't believe that Christianity is a place where you come and you check your brain at the door. Uh, we believe that God gave you a brain for a reason. And that God calls Jesus' followers to have an understanding of why they believe what they believe. And so the questions that we've been looking at is, who is Jesus? Why does this matter? And does Jesus, does this bring you joy? And so we went back to the sci-fi section uh, in the New Testament. That's John 1, where we see Jesus as the living word. They're present at the moment of creation. Totally different than the Nativity story. And we looked at what that meant and how Jesus was described in his strength, bringing light, bringing life to all creation and to everyone. Um, How Jesus was always observing, how Jesus was rejected. Uh, We looked at also Jesus as the living power and the perspective that John the Baptist gave about the strength of Jesus and how Jesus is stronger than, greater than anyone who has walked the earth, how Jesus spoke the word of God. Um, and through Jesus, God has given life to all things. Uh, last week, we looked at a story of an interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4 and how Jesus is a bringer of living water and what that means. And I think it's been helpful in this Advent season to kind of take a look at that. If you look at the genealogies in Matthew 1, Matthew 2, whatever your family traditions around this time of year are, if you pay attention, you actually find in the genealogy of Christ that God redeems mistakes. That God makes right wrong. That God actually was not the keeper of ethnic pride the way that we look at it that God had different ideas. The genealogy of Christ teaches us as much as anything else about these things and about more important things. We see in Matthew 2 the story of Jesus' birth and what was going on with Herod and how there were people of wisdom that already understood the prophecies and how Jesus was predicted. He was a gift that they were expecting. And this morning, I want to focus on the reaction of people that receive Jesus as a gift. But I think it's worthwhile pointing out that in the Old Testament, there's over a thousand, uh, which was written over a thousand year period. There's nearly 300 references to the coming Messiah. All of these were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and they establish a solid confirmation of the credentials of Jesus Christ as a Messiah. There's 29 prophecies in the Old Testament which speak about the betrayal, the trial, the defeat, and the burial of Jesus. They were spoken at various times by many different voices during the five centuries from 1000 to 5000 BC. And all of them were literally fulfilled within a 24-hour period of Jesus' death. So I think it's helpful for us to ask, what's the big deal? I think we shouldn't just blindly go through this season with no questions at all. But my my hope has been that as we turn to the Scripture, not just our own opinions or something that's produced by Hallmark or anyone else, that we would consider who Jesus is finding strength and joy. That it would be transformational. It would be an interaction with God that makes a difference. Jesus, the living Word, the living power, who brings living water, and today we're looking at Jesus, the living joy. So if you will, turn with me, let's go to Luke, um, I'm going to pick a spot, any spot, no, I'm going to pick a spot in Luke chapter 1, uh, just to get us started, and I'm going to do just kind of a fair amount of reading of the story. I don't know about your childhood, but in my childhood, we couldn't open any gifts till Grandpa read the story, <laughs> and now I'm the keeper of the gray beard, so... Mm-hmm. It falls to me. (laughs) The angel says to Mary, verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but now she's in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Then the angel left her. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. This is how Mary responded with a song of praise. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my, my, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For He took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy, and He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear Him. Let's skip over to chapter 2, Luke, um, Luke 2 verse 3. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancee, who was now obviously pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord. "...has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased." The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Dr. Luke is actually not a Jewish author. He's one of the few authors in the New Testament that's not Jewish. He's Greek. And he has asked questions of all the eyewitnesses of what occurred to put together a careful historical account of the birth of Jesus, of the life of Jesus, so that we would have something to hold fast to, a written account of Jesus. And in fact, in present day, we have more copies, around 400 copies of the ancient text, word for word, that still exist in our presence as humans meaning that there is more academic, scientific proof of the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus than the fact that President John F. Kennedy Jr. was killed. And yet if we see a video of that, we would believe it more than something that we read. But from an academic perspective, the proof is sound. Jesus was born. They took joy well, why did they take joy? Well, over and over, we see in the miracles that happened before the birth of Christ, he's referred to as the Messiah. Well, what does that mean? That's the anointed one, the sent one, the messenger of God, the messenger of the covenant was the word that God gave, that he would be God with us, God lived with us. And who was it that they anointed for oil, set apart for a holy function? Well, it was prophets, priests, and kings. And we see that Jesus actually fulfills all three of those functions. Jesus is the king of all kings, not Aquaman. Some of us have already seen the movie. Jesus is a prophet, the mouthpiece of God. He literally speaks the words that he heard from God. He has a priestly function bringing all of us into what Peter described as the priesthood of all believers. Jesus, the anointed Messiah, prophet, priest, and king. But why? Why? Why is this so important? The prophet Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, The Lord himself will give you the sign, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isaiah 9 and 6, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jeremiah 23, 5, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line, and he will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And maybe the most important of the prophecies about Jesus found in Isaiah 53, I'll read to you in modern language, Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He was done. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. This is what Jesus explained to Nicodemus, the rich, the religious leader, when Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus continued, for God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that through him it might be saved. This is why the reactions were joyful. Let's continue the story. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, Now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phaniel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. You may remember Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. The joy that is spoken of. And what we've seen in the last few weeks and what we see in this story is that the people that were expectant of a gift from God responded to this birth of the Messiah with joy. That was, that was their reaction. The phrasing in Luke 2 and 10 about joy is referring it with the grammar specifically to the source that allows one to enjoy a state of happiness and well-being happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying pleasure that is the opposite of misery sorrow and grief that's the kind, I think it's quite possible that in our present vernacular the word joy doesn't carry a lot of meaning but I think that it did to Jesus as we see in the accounts of his life that kids liked being around him. I find that kids don't always like to be around everyone who calls himself a Christian. It's possible we might be missing a little joy, which is why we're doing all of this to bring us back, to orient us back to the source and to make sure that we are recognizing Jesus as the gift that he truly is. I have a confession to make this morning. I've not wrapped all the presents yet. Gave a couple a little bit early. So tomorrow I've got a lot of wrapping to do. What a drag it would be if... I wrapped the gifts and the kids came down on Christmas morning. That's great! And then went on to do something else. I didn't buy the gift. Maybe you didn't make the gift. You didn't wrap the gift and put it under the tree just for it to be known for the wrapping paper. Maybe I mean, I'm not perfect, but as a parent, when I get a gift, I want the gift to be enjoyed. Enjoyed for its intended purpose. Are you with me? I take joy when they take joy. That's a part of what's meant by, you know, it's better to give than receive, right? You kind of get to uh, the place of maturity uh, is about giving, you know, uh, people have observed that when an infant is born, it's born with clenched fists. And when we pass from this earth, we pass with open hands. And they say, oh, life is a matter of letting go. But I think that's kind of mourning the wrong thing. I think that a God, life is coming to recognize all that God has given me, and it causes me to want to give to others. I think the way that we know a Jesus kind of love is that love gives. It's a giving kind of love. Jesus is not a gift that God gave so that you would feel bad about yourself. If that's our response, we've got it all wrong. Now, are we possibly wallowing in guilt from the past or maybe we have self-destructive tendencies that need to be adjusted and corrected. Sure, should we come to a place of confessing what is wrong and turning away from it to follow Jesus? Absolutely. But the joy in finding the gift of Jesus is that I can be forgiven when I don't feel like I can. I can be forgiven. I can be made clean. I can get a miracle of a new life that's not possible in my own strength, in my own way. The gift of Jesus, the reason that they took joy is that they knew that it meant something new, something beyond the temple and the show and the ritual. They knew that it meant new spiritual life, that the animal sacrifices would no longer be needed, but there was a once and done sacrifice for all that Jesus took on himself, the sins of us all. That's what we read about in the scriptures this morning. It is new life. And so God did not intend to give Jesus as a gift so that we would then follow up by relating to Him through legalism. To then turn around and try to behave right so that God would love us. No, that's wrong. God has already loved you. God loved you so much He showed you His love in this. When you were at your worst. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. The gift was given. The price was paid. So we can take joy. We can quickly confess our wrong, quickly ask for forgiveness, and quickly receive it. Because it has been given. God has already done the heavy lifting, the hard work is already done. This is really good. Wow. Pastor Ben, I don't know about your choice of facial hair, but this is a good message. <laughs> people that saw Jesus in the flesh, saw His eyes, heard His tone of voice, watched His nonverbal communication, this is how they found Him. They wanted to be around Him. They took joy. So, okay, we had some feelings. What did we learn? Let's just talk about the plain, simple truth from the mass of scriptures I gave you. Well, first, God sent Jesus to bring about joy that is not possible without Him. This is really important. I know some of you are sick of my Eddie Murphy. Woken Penub and all the wrong, right? <laughs> God sent Jesus to bring about joy that is not possible without Him. Know what a shame it is when we continue life. Okay, I I checked the God box with this depression, this anxiety, this hurt from the past, this guilt, this remorse, this thing that I feel about this side of my life. We continue to carry it with us. Now there is a healing process. God can do miracles in a moment and God has taught us a lot through medicine, through mental health. There's a recovery process. There is a helpful way to draw out what it is that we're feeling and what we're thinking and to help us to come to God in an honest way where God can bring healing to what we're feeling, healing to our thought patterns to bring about a change that is long-term, that is lasting, that is healthy. But we make a mistake if we try to do it on our own, out of our own strength or isolated. Well, what do we learn? Second, when we come to realize the truth of who Jesus is, we find life-changing joy. I think it's so important to go to these foundational truths because I've found that in my own life and in my interactions with people, we drift towards complexity. We start to believe things that we would never say that we believe. We, we, we could maybe say that we believe the right things, but deep down the things that we're feeling where there is stress underneath the stress is because we have started to believe something that's not true. We have started to believe that something that we value very much in life is not sure, is cracked, is faulty is not certain in our future. We gotta stop and say, What am I feeling? Why am I feeling that? Why am I thinking this way? What are my thoughts based on? Unpack it. Question it. I think that when we instead of relating to God the way other people have described him, when we instead of relating to God the way we've heard about him. We will investigate who God really is. We will go to the source. We will find life-changing joy. That's good. I, I agree, I agree. Okay, so those are a couple of things that we've learned this morning. Three points to close us out early. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> what should we do? Well, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about it first and foremost receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, you may not be ready to do that yet. That's okay. God loves you. He cares for you. We've got a book in the back we'd love to give you, love to have somebody walk through with you called the Purple Book. It's just a bunch of questions with Bible references, and it can walk you through from the beginning. It's very helpful. Again, we believe and anything, whether it be something of logic, something of the problem of evil or pain. We've got a variety of books that are available on on all of those subjects. We believe that there is no question that is too great for God. You may not be aware of the fact, but the book of Job in the Old Testament was actually the first one that was written down. I think it's because it's harder to memorize. They found it harder to memorize than Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which were written down later. But what we see in the book of Job is that God is not afraid of questions. God is not afraid of the hardest of questions. And God doesn't always jump to His own defense when people malign Him, misrepresent Him, religious people no less. God's not afraid of our misunderstanding, our doubts, our fears, our questioning. God loves us. God saved you because He loves you. So what should we do? Well, first receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Second, this one's a little bit more complicated. Draw strength and joy from this personal relationship through daily contact. Now, we've just completed something called a 40-Day Worship Challenge. We gave out a book called Unscripted. It essentially just invites you into spending 15 minutes in your day of your best energy In a quiet place, resting in God's presence, maybe just listening to worship music or just reading a psalm, finding some way to orient yourself to God's presence and His love for you to allow God to communicate His love for you. So we we finished up in the middle of December, 40 days of just trying that out as an experiment, talking about it in our small groups. Listen, God can do anything at any time. And God has created this amazing diversity of humans. Us all communicating the same way, all the same things, does not communicate the amazing creativity of the living God. All of our unique ways, our unique ways of connecting with God, our unique ways of singing about God, our unique ways of describing God, all of those things, when we come together, give us a better chance of getting to know who God is. So you might connect with God in a way that is different than other people. But what I have found is that not giving God time never helps. So giving God time helps. it gave you a double negative and then we went back. So draw strength and joy from this personal relationship through daily contact. Now you might be in a rough season of pain, of A wide variety of things for a wide variety of reasons. Don't fake it. Come to God with honesty. Pour out your heart. God already knows. Number three, tell people about Jesus. Just like Anna and the shepherds did. What do we see? Their response in receiving Jesus as a gift. They had joy and then they went and told a bunch of people about it. Let's stand and close in prayer. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that this morning we have people from many different traditions, many different ideas about all this stuff. We love everyone. We're glad that you're here today. I know that this is also a difficult time. It may be the first time without a loved one it may be a memory of something that happened I I remember as a college kid I got laid off on Christmas Eve once and that just like soured Christmas for a few years for me which I know sounds silly but it did so whatever the reason is if you would like some encouragement if you'd like some prayer please don't leave feel free to ask someone to pray for you and and uh, any of us will be glad to pray for you and encourage you today yeah God I thank you Yahweh God, our Creator and our Redeemer, I thank You that You are who You said You are and that You did what You said You would do. Your Word to Mary held true. Your promises, the prophecies held true. I thank You that in Jesus we can find strength, we can find joy. There is limitless hope in front of us. I thank You, God, that that is who You are. Help us to learn from what we read today help us to respond the way that you would have us respond receiving jesus as savior drawing strength and joy telling other people about it thank you for your goodness today in the name of jesus amen amen Amen. bless you today please give somebody a hug a high five something enjoy something to eat or drink have a great weekend